together. So turn with me now in your Bible to Nehemiah, if you would, please. Nehemiah chapter 4. And we're going to look at, at only one verse of Scripture this morning. And we're going to do it because it gives us, I think, Nehemiah 4, verse 6, gives us a really, really healthy perspective on life. And we're going to come at it from uh, three unique perspectives. We'll give our most time to the first. And, and it's because I, I think this verse captured me because it actually doesn't seem to make sense. So I don't know if you ever read your Bible and go, that doesn't make sense. And that causes you not to just go, well, I'll forget it, but to go, what's going on here? Because it doesn't seem to make sense. Here's why it doesn't seem to make sense. Verses four and five of Nehemiah four record Nehemiah's prayer. It's what we looked at last week when we learned that he was uh, maybe a little bit of West, West Side in him. The folks had mocked him, Tobias Sam Ballad, and his folks had mocked the Jews for their feeble attempt to rebuild this wall. They're gonna take stones and bring them back to life. And in response to that mocking, Nehemiah had prayed this, hear, O our God, how we are despised, return their approach on their own heads and give them up for plunder in a land of captivity. In other words, do to them what they're wanting to do to us and do not forgive their iniquity and let not their sin be blotted out before you. Super strong prayer that we talked about last week. Part of why he praised this is because the mockery had had impact on the people. Do words ever impact you negatively? Yeah, but what does the end of verse five say their mocking had done to them? What's it say? It says, for they have demoralized the builders. They had been hard at it, making progress, and then these, these words of mockery came, and it demoralized them. And when you're demoralized, what do you want to do? Yeah, you want to quit, right? When you're demoralized, when you're feeling it, it's like, this is worth it, this is great, I'm all in. And then you're demoralized, and you're like, why am I doing this? This isn't working. I don't really want to do this anymore. That's what was happening. Which is why, look in your Bible now if you would, verse six doesn't seem to make any sense. How'd verse five end? So they demor- it demoralized the war- builders, verse six, so we built the wall. Well, that doesn't make any sense. Now, you probably read that and went, I, I completely missed that. That's so because we don't usually connect what verse five says to verse six. So we built the wall. The whole wall was joined together at half its height. Put it together. They have demoralized the builders, so we built the wall. Isn't that weird? Okay. Yes, that's not what demoralized people do. Every single person in here has at one time or another been demoralized. In other words, you were on the track for something, And then you kind of just lost your energy for it. You lost your zeal for it. You lost your will for it. 
And this verse just completely captured my attention because having demoralized them, it says, so we quit, no? So we built the wall. I think there's a powerful perspective because if you haven't been demoralized, you will be. You're going to be all in on something. And maybe this has happened since we started Nehemiah. Maybe you were like, I was all in and saying, I'm going to try to help the lonely. But then when I tried to help, it didn't seem like it really made a difference to them. They weren't that appreciative. And all this uh, that I thought I was going to experience just didn't happen. Demoralized. You found out, wow, I am maybe not very good at this, or this is harder than I thought it would be, and I'm not sure anymore. So, so how is it that demoralized builders built the wall? Here's the perspective I don't want us to miss. Verse 6 ends with, for the people had a mind to work. That's a great phrase. And in fact, actually, you may have a Bible that has a little number or a letter beside mine, and you go to the cross-reference or to the center column, and it says heart. Literally heart, for the people had a heart to work. You see what I'm saying? This unique perspective is this. Words do impact us. The mockery impacted the people. They were demoralized but they built the wall because they had a mind or a heart that was greater than what they were feeling because of the mockery. So let me make sure we understand what it means to have a mind to work in Nehemiah 4.6. This might catch you by surprise. The work is he... The work he is referring to was not their job. So if you think, oh, you're thinking about your job already and going to work even though you're demoralized, it's not that that wouldn't apply, but that's not what we're talking about in Nehemiah 4, 6. Their building was not their job. Remember this? They were goldsmiths, Nehemiah 3. There were merchants, there were perfumers, there were priests, there were other occupations named. So they weren't talking about their occupation. It was those folks who were also serving by rebuilding the wall. In other words, there was something in their heart and mind that said, when my job, my occupation is over, I am not done working. There's a work that I do that I don't get paid for, at least in stuff that publics will take. (laughs) There's There's a work that I do, a serving that's beyond my occupation that I believe is worth it. Anytime I show up here on a Sunday morning, I'm always... Humbled and blessed that there's lots of cars already here from folks who have real jobs, not like my job, who have real jobs, who got here early to do what my mom made me do when I was a kid and get the place ready. Maybe you don't fully uh, think through the fact that, that the vast majority of these people in South and in North who lead weekly in worship, they have real jobs. 
And then they have a mind to work, a mind to serve. The folks who direct parking, uh, the folks who took your babies in nursery today, who took your kids in children's ministry, that, that's what we're talking about here. So it raises this, this question in me. What's the mind, what's the heart that says, I want to work beyond what I just get paid for? I want to serve beyond what I get paid for. And uniquely in here, I want to continue to do so even after or when I'm demoralized. See, I recognize for the many who do serve, there are times where not, not thinking your job now, thinking you're serving, you get demoralized in your serving. It's like, does it really make a difference? I mean, I'm just, maybe you serve in the nursery and things. Does it really make a difference that I'm, I'm holding babies? Does it really make a difference that I, that I show up in children's ministry week in, week out? Does it make a difference that I pour my life out for leading teenagers who just end up doing stupid stuff? Seriously. Talked to a youth worker last week who was like, I pour my life out and, and then they just do stupid stuff. And it's just, they were, de- they were demoralized. It's like, is this worth it? And so, are you, are, you, are you listening right now? There's a perspective, a heart and a mind that says, even when people say, you're just wasting your time, we're still going to have a heart to serve. All right, I hope I've sent our minds in the correct direction of Nehemiah 4, 6. Not our job. Hey, there's good things that the scripture says about our job, but that's not what this is about. This is about how we serve, how we contribute outside of what we get paid for. So what is that heart? What is that mind? Well, I'm going to take us to three sections, three different sections in scripture that I think capture the mind, the heart to serve, that I hope, because I couldn't help read this, maybe, maybe this never, you thought of it this way, but I couldn't help read this and think, man, what if CFC had a, a heart to serve? Well, <clears throat> what if the overwhelming mind of the people at CFC was, I've got a mind to serve? The impact that that would be. So where's that come from? Well, let me invite you to go first to 1 Peter chapter 4 in your New Testament. As the people of God, what's the foundation of this phrase in Nehemiah 4, 6? A heart or a slash mind to serve. Because serving is a matter of the mind. It's a matter of the heart. That's where it starts. If, it, if it's not a matter of the mind, a matter of the heart, then it's just going to fade away. You understand what I mean by that? Because actually everybody likes to kind of serve in some ways when it's rewarding to them. It's when the rewards don't seem to be visible and present or continual that we go, what am I doing here? So serving's a matter of the mind, heart. <clears throat> First from First Peter 4.10. 
as each one has a, received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Like, take us to this verse because it captures so much of the mind of serving in the New Testament. It begins with this, this reality. If you have trusted in Jesus, you were not only forgiven of your sin and made a new creation in Christ, you were given by God gifts, skills, talents given to you by God for the purpose of doing what? Serving one another, helping one another. So that's, that's foundational that every believer has been given uniquely by God supernatural gifts, talents, and abilities to be able to help one another. And to do so is to be a good steward of what? The manifold grace of God. Let me unpack that for you. When we think of the grace of God, we normally think of, oh, the grace of God that saves me even though I don't deserve to be saved. Jesus took my penalty on the cross, paying the debt of my sin, and offered to me a free gift of salvation if I would believe in him. That is the saving grace of God that is given and offered to all who would believe. The manifold grace of God represented here is that each of you experience, who are children of God, each of you experience a unique expression of God's grace in your life and how he has made you and how he has gifted you. See, uh, teaching is a gift from God. But not every teacher teaches exactly the same way or from the same perspective or even to the same effectiveness. There is the manifold grace of God. And often a teacher may have a gift of leading or a gift of exhortation or a gift of helps combined with that gift that makes a difference in how then they serve one another. What am I saying? That in the same manner that we have a unique fingerprint that defines us uniquely as individuals, God has his fingerprint on your life as his child who have been born again by the grace of God in a manner that makes you unique and your, listen, contribution unique to how we can serve one another. This is why, really, no one else can do in the body what you can do. Because of the unique, manifold grace of God and how he has gifted each one. As a good steward... You understand, we usually think stewardship as in money. And the whole concept is this. The money's not mine. The money is 
the Lord's. I am the steward slash manager. And as a good steward, I use the money that is actually his in a manner that reflects the purposes and priorities of the owner. That's stewardship. How's that apply to gifts? Take it out of the realm of money and put it into the way that God has uniquely made you. To be a good steward of the manifold grace of God in your life is to say, I am going to recognize God has made me uniquely me, not for my purposes, but for the sake of how he, the head of the church, wants to use me in the building up of his body. See, the, I, wish, I wish in some sense each of you could be standing here right now looking out and thinking about the manifold grace of God expressed in all the faces here, all the faces over in north, and recognize God has gifted you in a manner that you uniquely, according to his design, can serve one another. What is the perspective of a mind, a heart to serve? It's this. A mind to work or a mind to serve sees serving as a stewardship. This is what I just described for us. It sees serving as a stewardship of my God-given gifts. In other words, I can't take the gift and bury it. In other words, not employ it, not give it a job. Not a paying job, but a, a job of serving one another. I can't be a good steward and not serve. That's a strong statement, but I can't be a good steward and not serve because a steward takes what's been given to him by the owner and uses it for the purposes and priorities of the owner. So how has God uniquely made you? What are you good at? Because it's hard to use it if you don't know what you have. So what's he made you good at? Maybe at teaching, maybe at leading, maybe at starting things, maybe at organizing things, because people who start things are often not very good at organizing things. <laughs> right? Yes. <clears throat> Some at helping. Maybe God has made you insightful, giving you wisdom, or maybe you are a great encourager for people who lead or start things or organize or help. Or maybe you have a unique ability to connect with those who don't know the gospel to help them see the gospel by God's grace and be born again. Or maybe you have a great ability, unique to express hospitality, which is not cookies with your friends. Biblical hospitality is... Oh, we should know this. Biblical hospitality is the welcome of strangers. It's that capacity, and you all know people who have this unique gift from God, that you say things like this, wow, it seems like we've known each other forever. 
You've said, it's like, it's like we've been all friends for a long time. And other people, it's like, we've known each other for a long time and still like, whew. Some people have gifts of hospitality, like real capacity to warmly welcome and include in. Valuable. Our gifts of giving. Let me pause. You, sh- you should make sure in your mind that we don't equate a gift of God means that, oh, that's my gift and I don't do the other things. All of us share the gospel. All of us are called to share the gospel. God has made some of you supernaturally fruitful when you share the gospel. All of us are called to give. Some of you, God has given tremendous capacity to give. If God makes you really good at making lots of money, you ought to make a bunch of money. Sometimes guys look at me like, "Mm, really? That doesn't sound very spiritual. If If a person has been given wisdom, a lot of wisdom, should they use that? If God's made you good at making a bunch of money, and God makes some people good at really making a bunch of money. They do. It's like, wow, they just make a ton of money. As a good steward, I go, ah, I'm going to use that gift for living a lavish life. Oh, no, 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 no. At at what? Serving others by how I become a channel. God made you good at it. Then we use it. Creativity. Some of you think in color. Some of you think in black and white. So some of you just have a creative bent. And it's awesome. It adds color to our lives. Some of you gifted in writing. Some of you really gifted in technology. And that gift seems to be to the younger. <laughs> No, it's just some people just understand stuff like that. And others are like, uh, what again? Some are gifted singing. Right? And if not, we go, no microphones for you. (laughs) Craftsmanship. Isn't that good? Is that a gift from God? Yeah. The capacity to, to work with your hands and to make things beautiful. See, just ask yourself, what's the manifold grace of God in your life? In other words, you didn't just randomly get good at stuff. If you're good at something, God made you good at that. If you're fast, God made you fast. If you're smart, God made you smart. If you have capacity to to just uniquely welcome people, that's a gift from God. What are you good at? What has God made you good at? And then next question, how can I use that to serve one another? That is, stewardship is a mind, a heart to work. Because, watch, even though when words go, ah, 
Am I really making an impact? Does it really matter that I show up early and blow off the driveway? Does it really matter that we stand in the back and help people find seats? Does it really matter that we're serving coffee? Yes, that one matters, right? I know you all agree with that one. (laughs) Does this stuff matter? Sometimes you wonder and you get demoralized. And then what do you remember? I'm a steward. I'm a steward of gifts that God has uniquely given me. And good stewards don't not serve. Maybe you go, I don't know what God has made me good at. Then try stuff. Seriously, try stuff. And what, you'll, what you may discover is some of you are good at these things with children. And some of you go, oh, no, I'm good at this stuff with youth. And others, I'm actually good at this stuff with adults. And people who are good at stuff with adults look and they go, you're good at that with junior higher. What's wrong with you? No, no. And you look at folks, good stuff with children, but go, ah, not so much with adults. Is that part of God's manifold grace in your life? Yes. Yes. My wife's a baby whisperer. She, 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 can, she can figure out stuff, and I'm like, I have no idea. And if there's ever a situation, Jackie, part of that's lots and lots of years of experience. But she was actually good from the start. What has God made you good at? If you don't know, try some stuff. And some of you will go, I'm not any good at that. (laughs) And others, you go, ah, I think I was effective there. And if you see somebody that is doing something that you go, I think God's made them good at that, you ought to tell them. Because that would really help them. You ought to encourage them. Because you may think, oh, they already know that. They might not. They may just be trying. Do you see how stewardship of my gifts is a mind to work, a mind to serve? Because when I capture it, I'm like, I can't not serve. It's just a matter of where and how. Okay, second perspective in this mind to work that will be important to us to start serving and keep serving. Turn to 1 Corinthians. And Paul is going to talk about himself, the Apostle Paul, for a moment. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. There's a great whole section here on serving in chapter 3. I'm going to just try and zero in in two verses. Chapter 3, verse 5. He says, Paul's writing this to the church there in Corinth. What then is Apollos? Apollos is a man who was serving with him in Corinth. He says, what then is Apollos and what is Paul? Servants. So we're not superstars, we're servants through whom you believed even as the Lord gave opportunity to each one. Now to understand what he's saying. God gives each of us the way he has uniquely made us opportunity to serve others to make an impact. 
He unpacks that next verse. I planted, Apollos watered, but God was causing the growth. You understand the imagery there? They're not, they're not planting a garden. They're doing what? They're building the church. And the church begins with unbelievers hearing the gospel and believing. And then believing, receiving the truth of the scriptures and being built up and growing in that. Paul is simply saying, I planted. In other words, as an apostle, his gifting of God was to go start new things. He went into a city where the gospel wasn't, and he started planting by sowing seeds of the gospel. As people responded to it, Apollos watered. In other words, he was throwing truth onto the gospel, which caused growth. So, who was causing the growth? What's it say? God was causing the growth. How? Through, through people who were using their gifts. See, the beauty, the mind to serve, the heart to serve flows through. Not only am I a steward of what God has gifted me with, I am serving in divine partnership with him. I am serving, doing what God has made me to do, and God is using what he's made me to do to bring about supernatural results. I can't do that. Here's the secret of this divine partnership. My role, faithfulness as a steward, using what God gave me. God's role, fruitfulness, making it grow. My role, faithfulness. God's role, fruitfulness. Oftentimes, here's why I want to make this distinction, oftentimes I get demoralized when I take on God's role. It's my role to Make fruit happen. What's my role? Faithfulness. You know how demoralizing it can be for a person? Maybe you've experienced this. You plant, you plant, you plant. In other words, you sow seeds, you share the gospel, share the gospel, share the gospel. And and it's like nobody comes to Christ. You might be demoralized unless you understand the mind to serve is partnership. Faithfully throw the seed. Leave the fruitfulness to the Lord. Some of you serve in our children's ministry, and you teach them week in, week out. You serve in our, our junior high, senior high. You teach week in, week out, and you think, does that ever make a difference? What's your role? Faithfulness. Speak the word, speak the word, speak the word. Love them. God's role? Fruitfulness. Now, do you understand? The fruitfulness 
is the overflow of the faithfulness. Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. (laughs) I love this passage because the laborers build it and the Lord builds it. They are partners. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman keeps awake in vain. The watchman can't go, oh, this is the Lord's responsibility. Let me go to sleep. He watches and the Lord guards. You might go, oh, the Lord saves people. I don't need to share the gospel. That's the watchman who goes, I'll just go to sleep and say the Lord watches, guards the city. No. Faithfulness, fruitfulness. That's why I start. Stewardship. What's God made you good at? And never doubt that he's made you good at something. Just learn to find it and then to get, to get better at it. Paul actually tells Timothy the, the spiritual gift that you got by the laying on of hands Work hard at it. Let your progress be made evident to all. You probably think about that with your job. Have you ever considered that in your serving? That mindset that says, there are things worth giving my life to outside of what I get paid for. Because that's a stewardship. And it's a divine partner. And remember this from Nehemiah. Remember he's, his heart's broken about the rubble. He's been praying, praying, praying. Finally, the king says, what's wrong? He says, here's what's happening in my city. And the king asked him the golden question, what do you need? And he's ready and he tells him. And Nehemiah's assessment of that situation was this. This is divine partnership. And the king granted them to me because the good hand of my God was on me. I love this. Who worked in the king's heart? Who put the words in the king's ear? Nehemiah. What do you need? Well, I need timber. And I need some letters from authority. And I need some permission. And I need some protection. Nehemiah put the words in the king's ears. And God put the change in the king's heart. Who did it? They did. Partnership. An overflow of stewardship. It's a heart to serve. All right. Now turn with me one last to Philippians chapter 2. Paul has been serving in Philippi and reflecting back on that time when he was serving in Philippi. Remember what had God made him uniquely to do? Start stuff, churches specifically, made him an apostle. He says, Nehemiah, excuse me, not Nehemiah, Philippians, chapter 2, 
Verse 17. Even if I am being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I rejoice and share my joy with you all. What's he saying? If you were Jewish, you'd understand this better. A drink offering is an offering that a Jewish person would have brought and poured out, a liquid offering, poured it out on the altar as a reflection of worship of God. Paul sees that altar as the Philippian people. And he says, even if I see my life being poured out in worship to God upon your faith. And to pour your life out on something is, is to give yourself, right? That's not dabbling. When you pour your life out, you're giving it everything. He says, I see my life being poured out upon you that your faith would flourish. And it's my, it's my joy. I rejoice in this. If I'm being poured out, see, sometimes we think, man, I am poured out. God, I sure hope you see this and appreciate this. Ever thought that? God, you, you see what I'm doing. You see how hard I'm working. You see how much I'm sacrificing. Or maybe you think, church, you see how much I'm up here? He says, this is my joyful privilege. Now put it all together. Why is it his joyful privilege? Because he is a steward in divine partnership, which makes our serving a joyful privilege. Starts with a stewardship. Settled into a, an understanding. I'm a co-laborer in God's field. And therefore, I am joyfully privileged to serve. Now, don't miss the big picture. What did Nehemiah 4 or 5 say? They had demoralized the builders. So they built because they had a, a mind, a heart to work. This is a good question right now. So you look within. Do you have a mind to work? I don't mean your job. I mean outside of what you get paid for. A mind, a heart to go. God has made me uniquely graced me with gifts to serve. And I get to be a part of him doing the supernatural. That's my privilege. You with me? Do you have a heart to serve? It matters. 
It matters, one, because at some point you're going to be demoralized. And apart from a, a heart and a mind to serve, what are you going to do? You're going to quit. You're going to go, not worth it. See, it's in the moments, this is what I've realized about myself. It's in my moments when I'm demoralized that I determine and it's revealed, do I have a mind and a heart to serve? Just imagine the fruit that God, I believe, would bring where there was faithfulness of stewards serving. What was the fruit there? Watch this. In spite of the mockery, in spite of the past being so big and then being genuinely so feeble, we built the wall and the whole wall Two and a half miles long, the whole wall was joined together to half its height. And you may go, well, that's not very good. How, how high was the original wall? 39 feet. So that's some serious progress. 19 and a half feet for the people had a mine to work. Now think about that. Half its height. Some, sometimes we say this, are you a, half, a glass half full or a glass half empty? Right? We think about perspective. When I read this verse, I go, Lord, give me a mind to work and let me see this, that half tall is better than none at all. Right? Half tall is better than none at all. Super excited that, that some 20 people met with Tony this morning about the Be Transformed ministry, the, the new ministry to rescue and restore the addicted. Will everybody that ministry serves be restored? Will they? Not worth it then. You know, if I'm going to pour my life out and they're not going to change, that's not worth it. No? <laughs> a, a mind to serve says half tall is better than none at all. The unreached, the billions of unreached, wow. If we can't do it all, Half tall. We're, we're making progress. I couldn't have imagined back in October of 2021 is when I had determined that I thought the Lord had Nehemiah for us as a church this year. Would have never imagined that during Nehemiah, our Supreme Court would make a, a decision for life like it did on Friday. Yeah. <clears throat> Abortion is basically the only thing I've ever known in this life, in the sense of being a reality 
in our country. Some have prayed for almost 50 years for that. I remember the first time I heard somebody say that that would be overturned in our country and thinking, come on, get reasonable. So I have two thoughts on Friday. Number one, if you think things are too big and you have stopped praying, be encouraged. Keep praying. And the other thought, if you think, oh, but now it's, now it's to the states. We're no better off. Half tall is better than none at all, right? It was a, a giant step toward life. Is it f- full, fully built? No. But it was a decision toward life. Let that, I, I guess most of all what I want to say is this. Be encouraged. The Lord is working not always in manners that we would see as soon as we would want it or to the magnitude that we'd want it. We always want complete and full fruitfulness. You know, God, if I share the gospel, it seems like you should do the part and save them all. It often doesn't work that way. Be encouraged that God is working. That those who were unreached, some of them, some of them are being reached. That some of the lonely are finding relationship. We're still going to have lonely in our world, but some are finding relationship. Jesus said, the poor you will have with you always. Well, then why do anything? <laughs> because the scripture says, remember the poor. Half tall, better than none at all. And one last perspective. So we built the wall, and the whole wall was joined together to half its height. See, not to half its height, to half its height. Four of the people had a mind to work, a stewardship, a partnership, a privilege that saw progress. And then this picture, the whole wall joined together. It's a great image for the body of Christ. Because what would have been true in Jerusalem when the wall was joined together, that was better. When you and I are together as the body of Christ, that's better. We can get tired of referring to it, but COVID taught us some powerful lessons of isolation and the price of isolation and how isolation, what it did in regards to alcohol, drug, and suicide. As the body of Christ, we among the most of all people on the planet need to recognize We were made for community. Better 
together. We're going to unpack this uh, a lot more in a coming passage in Nehemiah. But let me simply remind us of this from Ecclesiastes 4. Two are better than one. Why? Because they have a good return for their labor. For if either of them falls, the one will lift up his companion. But woe to the one who falls when there is not another to lift him up. That's just so clear, so powerful. Think about it. To fall, to be demoralized and isolated. That's a bad combination. Demoralized and isolated is not where God wants us to be. We're all going to be demoralized. None of us need to be isolated. Woe to the one who falls when there's not another to lift him up. Furthermore, if two lie down together, they keep warm. But how can one be warm alone? And if one can overpower him who is alone, two can resist him. Is that clear enough for you? You're defeated, isolated. You're conquering together. A cord of three strands is not quickly torn apart. Together is better because it provides strength and help and protection. And sometimes we don't feel like we need those things, so we're comfortable in our isolation. The problem is then what? In that isolation, we lack what we need. Together it provides strength, necessary strength, help, and protection. And so the author of Hebrews writes to the church, and I hope this will encourage you this morning. Our live stream has been a tremendous gift when we couldn't be together. It proved to be a tremendous gift for new people to kind of dip their toe in the water. It continues to be a great opportunity for when you are out of town to stay with what God is doing here. And it's been a great opportunity to connect with some folks who don't live in Jacksonville. But we were not meant to do church by live stream only. Okay? I'm all for its benefits, but I want to make sure that we see its limitations. And its limitations are it could lead us to isolation, and isolation will be bad for ourselves individually and for ourselves corporately not forsaking our assembling together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. See, there is, there is a capacity to come in here and by your voices, encourage one another. By your presence, encourage one another. By your smile, encourage one another. By your serving, encouraging one another. By your conversation, encouraging one another. But it's not going to happen if the wall is separated. We built the wall so it was all together. Provide strength, help, protection, 
and necessary encouragement. So I want us to encourage one another as we share in the Lord's Supper together. I'm going to invite the men to come forward with the elements. This will be our second time, so maybe you missed the first time, but yeah, Tom, I'll take one, thanks. It'll be our second time of being able to share the elements as we pass them. So they're going to be passing to you. We invite you to take a piece of the unleavened cracker and a cup of the juice. As much as possible, I know there'll be a moment of distraction as it's passed in front of you, but I want us to think very specifically about what we're doing in this moment. The scripture says this, that we do this for three reasons. We do this in remembrance of Jesus. We do this as a time to examine ourselves. And we do this to proclaim his death until he returns. So let's work through this. We are doing this to remember Jesus. Maybe this is new to you or fuzzy to you. Uh, This unleavened cracker is a reminder of the body of Jesus, that his body was broken on behalf of us so that we who were broken could be healed. This cup is the reminder of the blood of Jesus so that by the death of Jesus, who was without sin, we who were with sin could be made one with him, that he would take our sin and give us his righteousness. These, listen clearly, these do not save us. They are symbols that remind us that Jesus is our forgiver. What he has done on the cross, he has done for us. So it's a time for believers, those who have trusted, not in these symbols, but in the person they represent, to examine ourselves. So would you, maybe you can now bow with me and examine your own heart right now as it relates to the word just taught to you. Are you being a steward? of the gifts that God has given you. Using them to serve one another. You're living in faithfulness. Not burying those gifts, but faithfully using them. Trusting God to bring fruitfulness. And are you doing it with joy? We're grumpy. <laughs> We're frustrated. This is an opportunity to examine. Do you have a mind to work? A heart to serve? These are the reminders that the Lord Jesus lived with 
a heart to serve, that he was poured out for the sake of our faith. We do this until he returns as a reminder that we are the body of Christ, to be the presence of Christ to all who need him in every way that they need him. Would you, in the quietness of this moment, say to the Lord, Lord, as you've given yourself to me, I will pour myself out for the sake of others. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your death, your burial, your resurrection, that we might walk in stewardship and partnership with privilege. We take now in remembrance of you, our Savior. Let's take together. Let's stand and express with our voices our thanksgiving to our God. that you have shown us grace, you've gifted us, that we love people. Lord, we need your help with that. Lord, may we go language of our faith, thanksgiving, and the evidence of our lives that we have a heart and we have a mind to, to work and be about your work. We trust you to do, we trust you to bring the fruit. In your name we pray, amen. So glad that you're here this morning. If we can pray for you in any way, we have men and women available between the auditoriums there to pray with you individually. I hope you have a blessed day. We'll see you next time.